And Lord, every one of us needs something to receive from you today. And that's why we've gathered. We've gathered to worship you because you're worthy of the praises and the adoration of the hearts of your people. But Lord, we want you today to write your truths on our heart. God, we want to be able to extract from your word what we need for our lives and that that word would just deepen our faith. So I thank you, Lord, that as we come to the conclusion of the book of Genesis, God, and we're looking at the stories that you've written in so many of these biographies, Lord, thank you. Every life in here is a story you're writing. And I pray, Father, that we would allow you to continue just to author your will and your purpose for our lives. Use the word of God today, Lord, to help us to be all that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want to turn to Genesis 49, uh, we're going to finish up 49, we're going to finish up 50, and we're going to finish up Genesis. Believe it or not, what did we start this, seven years ago? Hopefully we've extracted some unbelievable truths from what God has done in people's lives. And just the focus now being on this tremendous Christ-like example, Jacob's son Joseph. We left off with Jacob's last words. He was speaking prophetic truth over the future of each tribe that his children would represent. Remember, the nation was comprised really of many nations. Zebulun, Naphtali, Gath, Reuben, all these individuals. And he would speak to them about their geographical location. He'd speak to them about some of the characteristics of the kind of people that they would be. And when he gets to Joseph, he has much to say to Joseph. He said he'd be a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well whose branches would run over the wall. And we know that about Joseph's life. It spread and it brought its blessing into the lives of a multitude of people. Egypt, Israel, and the other surrounding nations survived the famine because of the work of God in and through this guy's life and what he did with it. I think about Joseph here, and I think about what Jeremiah tells us. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. So the blessed life is the individual who trusts the Lord and who hopes in the Lord. I think about this verse when I think about Joseph. I wonder if it inspired Jeremiah through the Holy Spirit to even write this. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. And it spreads out her roots by the river. The root system is the life system. That's why we've been told and exhorted in the book of Colossians that we need to be rooted in Christ. In his person, in his words, and in his work. Planted by the waters, spreads out her root by the river, and shall not see when the heat comes, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in a year of drought, even if it's seven years of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit." This individual choose to be unaffected by outward difficulties because of an inward confidence, his trust, and his hope of God. That's why everything on the exterior was against him, but he had a God on the interior that was for him. And if God be for us, who can be against us? 
That's what the scripture declares to us. And we see and we're reminded because it's the truth of the scripture, but it's also the truth that we see when someone's life is committed to God, that God is for us. So Joseph, he, he's, in, he's in Egypt, and all Joseph had in Egypt was God. That's all he had. But you know what? When you got God, what else do you really need? Leonard Ravenhill said, you can't say that God is all you need until God is all that you have. And Joseph's life testifies of that truth. So verse 24 tells us here that, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. So, so what we see here is we see eternity invading the temporal realm. We see the strength of God manifest in itself into Joseph's life. The strength comes from God. The, the life that we've been called to live has a strength that's provided for it. But that strength doesn't come from self. And it doesn't come from good intentions. And it doesn't come even from good disciplines. It comes from the person of God Almighty. I'm telling you, there's nothing more important right now that if you want to finish your, your race well, if you want to finish the course, you want to keep the faith, and you want to be effective and fulfill the very purposes of why you were created and put on this earth in 2022, then you got to get close with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be the strength of your life, and he's going to do things in and through you. He's going to keep you, but not just keep you, because it's not just about being kept, it's about being used for the glory of God. And God's looking to use his church today. And he's looking to use people. But people are the most usable when they're the most spirit-filled. And that's what God offers to you and I the same way that he offered that to Joseph. Matter of fact, he told his apostles who went through his 11, or, or through the 11 apostles who went through his three years of Bible school, don't go anywhere until you get power from on high. It was insufficient. All their education, all the example that was set, all the truths that they knew, it was not sufficient enough until there was a pouring out of God's strength in their life to go and turn the world upside down. Our world needs to be turned upside down because they think they're right side up. And it's only going to happen when the church of Jesus Christ is baptized in the Holy Ghost and operating outside of a power other than ourselves other than our intellect, other than our education. We don't need education and intellect. We need anointing. And the anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. The anointing of God was through the strength of God working through Joseph's life. So is, God, is Jacob's pronouncing these blessings, these truths upon Joseph's life. He says, he'll bless thee in the blessings of heaven above, the blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. So they would grow in the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Benjamin was a very ferocious tribe. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is, this is it, that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone, according to his blessing, he blessed them. And in verse 29 says, and he charged them. If you will, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me for a moment. So 
So Jacob is now going to place this charge in his son's care. And a charge really, it's placing a great responsibility on someone with the expectation that the request be carried out. And we're going to find out in the next chapter that they do carry it out because they wanted to honor their father. It was of the utmost importance to the one who was issuing the charge, but it was of the utmost responsibility to the one responsible with carrying out the charge. And I look at this and I think, here's the dying words of a father. He's going to give the request and it's about taking his body back to the land from where he came. And I look at the charge here in the Old Testament, but there's a charge in the New Testament. And it was the same thing. There was an individual who was dying. The thing was, he wasn't dying of old age. He was dying as a martyr. He was about ready to get his head lopped off by Caesar Nero, who was satanically possessed and wanted to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ from continuing to go forward through the life of this individual, Paul the Apostle. And he passes this down. And he says this to to Timothy, and I believe it's not just a charge to Timothy, but I believe it's a charge to believers, ministers of the gospel, the true church of Jesus Christ. I charge you, 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing under the kingdom. Preach the word. That's why it's so important that we, as the people of God, stay faithful to the truth of God. This is the charge that a man was willing to give his life for. That was ready to go to death. He was on death row, ready to go to the executioner's chamber. To have his head removed from his body. And the final thoughts. Nothing about his funeral service or anything like that. But I'm just charging you with this. Timothy, this is so important to me that you would preach the word. This is important to me because it's important to God. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort without long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts are going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned Unto fables, but watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of the ministry. That was a charge given to the church that we would stick to the Word of God. And, and I think, really, today, if the Holy Spirit was going to give us a charge, it was going to really be the charge to ask you and I in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ are we sticking to the Word of God? Are we sticking to it? Because we've already been warned here. By Paul to Timothy, through the charge that there's a time coming when people want their ears tickled. It's no longer what we need to hear out of the truth of God's word, but what we want to hear that makes us feel good because all of a sudden we become overrun by emotions instead of being led by truth. And that's the charge to the church. That's why we preach the word here at Old Paz. And that's why we're going to keep preaching the word here at Old Paz. And that's why we should expect warfare here at Old Paz. Because you know, you and me need this. We need this. This is the charge that was given. You can go back to Genesis with me. <clears throat> We're going to bring Jacob's life here through the scripture to conclusion. And I think about that. And he charged them and said unto them, I'm going to be gathered to my people, bury me with my father in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Malcha. 
which is before Mamre, the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah and his wife. And there I buried Leah. So this was the charge that he gave him, where he wanted to go have his remains laid. And the purchase of the field and the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. But you know what? That whole last chapter, okay, the, the, the prophetics, the pronouncing of the blessings, the charge that he gave, when you summarize that whole chapter, Jacob had some final words of importance to deliver to his children. And God graced him with that time. I think it's really important that we, we have to recognize that we might not always have the opportunity to give those last words. So therefore, just about every day should be the words that come forth from our mouth that are so important to be passed down. But there's so many times God has just reminded me when it comes to my kids, speak life. Speak life. Death and life, or life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know, to speak life. And and Jacob's trying to speak life. And he gives him a charge. And it says here in verse 33, I love this. When Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed. Now, Now, Hebrews tells us previously that he was leaning on his staff and he was worshiping. Okay? As an old man, in a lot of pain probably, I think he was 147, and he's worshiping God. And it says here that he gathered up his feet into his bed and he yielded up his ghost and he was gathered unto his people. <clears throat> We're told in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of all men, and the living should take this to heart. Things like this, it's good for us to camp out on verses like this and visit our current life trajectory. Where we stand today with God. He yielded up his ghost. Literally means he breathed his last. And, and I think when we look at those things, we got to ask ourselves, when I take my last breath here on earth, where will my next breath be taken? Because it will be taken. It will be taken in the presence of God or it will be taken out of the presence of God. It'll either be in a wonderful place called heaven or it'll be in a horrific place called hell. Where do we take our next breath? It's more than just acknowledging who Jesus Christ is. It's more than just knowing about who Jesus Christ is, but truly knowing Jesus Christ and experiencing him. We have to be able to point to a place in our life where we just didn't decide to join a church, but where we surrendered our life and made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. When we put our trust in him, when the light switch went on and all of a sudden I realized what that cross was all about. Now I understand what Easter morning was all about. And I know that was for me and I received that gift into my heart by faith. And Christ now is my Lord and Savior. And I go from being a church person to being a saved person. Big difference. Big difference. We need to know that our calling and our election is sure. So when we look at this, look what it says here. And he was gathered unto his people. Who were his people? His people were the people of the faith. That's what Paul told us. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Not a faith you pick, but the faith that is proclaimed by the word of God that Jesus said was truth. 
So you remember what the, Jesus dealt with the Sadducees, you know, they came, hey, you know, if uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection and, you know, if, if a guy, you know, he, a lady gets married and her husband dies and she marries a brother and he dies and he, you know, gives this hypothetical situation and Jesus told them about death. He told them in the resurrection one thing. He told the Sadducees, you err because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. But this is what he goes on to say. He is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Therefore do you greatly err. It says here that Jacob didn't go into the ground, didn't go into extinction. He was gathered unto his people. This guy just hit a reunion with grandpa and grandma, Abraham and Sarah, mom and dad, Isaac and Rebecca, the love of his life, Rachel, and his first wife, Leah. That's where he went, to the people of faith. What an encouraging thing to see that God has put that in a word for us, to know that someday, last breath, we gather with our people. And Joseph fell upon his father's face, and he wept upon him, and he kissed him. Now, we see with Joseph, uh, he's not a man that was afraid to cry. A lot of tears came down this guy's face. Matter of fact, we'll see him crying later in the chapter 2. Seven different times, we see Joseph weeping. And, you know, the Bible tells us that God keeps our tears in a bottle. It's, every one of them are a remembrance to him. What does that mean? I mean, God cares about our pain, cares about our emotional pain. Jesus wept. We see this guy here weeping. 17 years he started with his dad. Then he wasn't with him for 17 years. And then they were able to reunite again. And then they were separated again. But they would only have that to be reunited once again. And never to be separated again. That's what's so important. That we would have our relationships in the faith. Because we understand that if the rapture doesn't take place, there's going to be a temporal separation from one another. But once we're reunited, it's permanent forever. There's permanence because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So we see the heartbrokenness of, of him losing his dad. And, and Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. The Egyptians had a way of really, uh, the way they took care of the body, I'm not going to get into details of it, probably you'll lose your lunch, but, um, but they would actually uh, pack the body full of different spices and it would actually be in a, in a mixture that would actually preserve the body. So they had a way of greatly preserving these bodies on the other side of death. And, and when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, Lo, I die in my grave which I dig for me in the land of Canaan. There, there you shall bury me. Now therefore let me go, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, go up. Look at that. Simple, simple response to him. You know, you know why? Because there's no apprehension in someone when you're dealing with a man of impeccable character. 
He didn't have to, you know, he wasn't worried that there was any other ulterior motive. Well, Joseph, that's his way of getting out of here. He's going to take everything he got here in, G- in Egypt, and he's going to go back to his nation and start his own life. No, none like that. Why? Because Joseph's word was Joseph's word. And Pharaoh knew that about Joseph. And when you're an individual of impeccable character, people don't have apprehension with trusting you. And he went up to bury his father with him, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the house, the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, his brethren, and his father's house. <clears throat> Only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with them both chariots, horsemen. It was a great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned a great in a very sore lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. So we see he's still mourning. He's, it's a deep mourning. And we look at that, and sometimes we have the wrong perspective of mourning. You know, I believe Joseph probably knew that he was gathered unto his people. He knew that he would see his dad again someday. But I think the reason... Why for us as believers, even though we have promises, that even with the promises, the pain's very deep. Because of those promises, we have hope. But even with that hope, the hurt's very deep. And I think one of the reasons it is that way is because there's something deeper in the way we love one another because of Jesus' love working through us. And it doesn't make it any easier. You know, there is a time to mourn. The scripture tells us that. And Paul says that we're to weep, but not as those who don't have hope. So we see Joseph here in emotional pain because of this temporal separation he was going to have from his father. And it hurt. It hurts a lot. And you see that. And I think there needs to be a sensitivity to people when you see them mourning over people that they love. Because sometimes they just need your comfort, your love. You know, I got to thank you from someone one time because, you know, everything I was going through, thank you that you just didn't throw some scripture at me, but you actually just took time to listen to me. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. They followed through on a charge. And his sons carried him in the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of a field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with a field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron, the Hittite, before Mamre, and Joseph returned to Egypt. Now, we look at that, and you think about the emotional state. He comes back, okay, he has this great time of lamenting. Uh, He leaves his dad there, his dad's body there in the tomb with all his relatives. And you know what Joseph did? He went back and kept his hand to the plow. You know, in those times, you know, we've just got to keep going. There's a time to mourn, but eventually we've got to get up and we've got to keep going. We plow forward through the pain. We serve, we live, we worship, and our life carries with it the wounds of this life. Our life carries with it the scars of this life. But sometimes it's just about putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward, serving. Joseph returned. And when his brethren saw that their now, now here comes another, uh, another uh, scheme by their brothers, I believe. And Joseph returned unto Egypt, and when, the, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will pre-adventure hate us, and will certainly requit 
us all the evil which we did unto him. So they said, okay, now it's payback time. Because remember, that's what their uncle told their dad. Remember when, when <laughs> Jacob and Esau, he says, man, when dad dies, you die. I'm coming after you. Fortunately, God intervened. But this is what is running through their family bloodline. So they're thinking this is how Joseph's going to treat them now. And, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespass of thy brethren. So they probably lied. This probably isn't true, you know, but they're operating out of paranoia. Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they, they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God thy father. And Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. Now, they're asking for forgiveness, but you know what? This forgiveness already took place. He already tried to remove the guilt from them when he revealed himself to them a few chapters earlier. He named his first son forgetful or forgetting. I'm forgetting what's behind me. There was already something that had taken place in his life. And, and, and I look at Joseph, and you know what? Here's the bottom line. You're going to go through this life you work with, you work with, you live with flawed people. And you know what? People are going to do you wrong. Welcome to earth. People are going to do you wrong. But we have two options available. We can become a bitter person or we can become a better person. You got to ask yourself the truth today. Because of people that can be difficult, are you allowing people to make you bitter or are you allowing God to make you better? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Which option is prevailing? Because the tests are guaranteed to come on this side of eternity. Glimpse into Joseph's heart. Like I just told you, named his firstborn forgetfulness. He let it go. And he ministered already to his brothers when he revealed himself to them. George Washington Carver made this statement. He says, I will never let another man ruin my life by causing me to hate him. I will never let another man ruin my life by causing me to hate him. The question the Holy Spirit would pose to you and I today, is someone ruining your life? And your heart just gave you the answer. And if your life is being ruined because you're carrying hatred around in your heart, there's a cross stained with blood that was put on a mount 2,000 years ago. Because of all that you did. Because of all that I did. When we have a God that does not withhold his forgiveness from us, who are we to withhold our forgiveness to anybody for anything? Joseph had to draw this forgiveness from his will, not necessarily emotions. I think that's one of the things that we as believers have to get into our minds and our hearts that these choices, they come from the will, not necessarily the emotions. I believe he had a heart that wanted to do what was pleasing to his maker and that's what forged his actions that's what forged his attitudes. 
we have to remember that while we're here in this vapor that we call life, the Bible says in Christ that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the way of the kingdom is to have the heart of the king. That's the way of the kingdom. All the things that we go through, we, we have watched everything Joseph has gone through for the last 13, 14 chapters, whatever it's been, and we quote it, we needlepoint it, we tattoo it, Romans 8, 28. For God works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But we don't realize that Romans 8, 28 is followed up by 8, Romans 8, 29 that says God has destined us to be preordained into the image of of his dear son. That's what he wants to conform us into. The image of Jesus. So God takes the junk, the crud, the bad, and he works in us. He might not work in the person who did it, but he cares about you. And he works in you, and he works in me. To do what? To remove more of us out of us and to bring more of Jesus reigning and ruling through us. I was... I was we had our uh, college and career fellowship the other night, and I was just exhorting the, the young adults that are there, a great group we got, praise the Lord. Um, but I was encouraging them when they read their Bible, we read our Bible to encounter Jesus. That's why we read our Bible. We don't just do it to bang out the chapter for the day. Bam, that's done. Put that on the spiritual resume for Monday. We read our Bibles to encounter Jesus Christ. And because he's so wonderful, we choose to submit to its truth. And in submitting to its truth, we proclaim a message to our lives that we trust its author. This is what we see in the life of Joseph. And you know what Joseph didn't have that you and I have? He didn't have the canon of Scripture. All he had was his life all the way back to what we started with in Genesis 1.1. We've got the whole scripture. We've got the Holy Ghost. We've got the promises that are true and amen and eternal. We've got a blessed hope. The only thing that we don't have is an excuse. So, we look at this, and, and look what it says here. So we see him again, right? Joseph wept. I, you know, I don't know, and I don't want to read too much into it, but I'm going to give you my opinion. Why is he crying again in front of his brothers here? I don't know if when they came to him, if so much stuff flashed through his mind. I don't know if there's an emotional nuclear bomb that went off inside of him, just thinking about everything that had happened in his life the last... 40 or 50 years, whatever it was up to this point. But I don't think there's anything in here that would cause us to believe possibly that maybe these weren't tears of joy. When he's looking at his brothers. I wonder if he was crying because everything I went through, the pain, the hurt, everything, the accusations, it was all worth it. I wonder if that's what was going on in his mind, all the suffering, because my brothers and my dad 
were standing here before me and they're alive. What happens if he didn't go through that? The famine takes out everyone. But Joseph's life went through hell so other people could live. And I wonder someday if we're going to get to heaven and all you suffered for being faithful to God, for sharing his truth through the mockery, through losing a job, whatever it might be, that, that everything that, that you suffered for being faithful to God, all you endured through life battles, one you wanted to throw in the towel and give up, but you kept going on. And how God used it to work through your life and to bring other people to Jesus Christ. I wonder if someday we stand in heaven and see the impact of that. There won't be tears of joy on our eye and say it was all worth it. But the exhortation is to make it worth it today. Keep going, soldier. For those of you who are thinking about bailing out, defecting, quitting, it's all going to be worth it in the end. Verse 18 says, And his brethren also, they, they, they went and they, and they fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Remember, that's what the prodigal son said. He came back to his dad. I just, I just want to be like one of your servants, you know. But, but the dad wouldn't have that. Why? Because there was a connection. There was a God-given connection. You're going to be my servant. You're my son. And these guys here, you're not going to be my servant. You're my brothers. And he treated them that way. What did he do? He treated them with grace. He gave them mercy. Because the heart of Almighty God was operating through him. Our connection is Family. And Joseph said unto him, fear not. I love this about him. He was a fear extractor. I'll tell you what, the church today needs fear extractors, people of faith. Being able to sow love and truth into people's lives to help them conquer their fears. He said, am I in the place of God? There's only one throne, and it's the throne God sits on. And none of us were made to sit on that throne. Joseph's basically saying, am I in the place of God? If you deserve judgment, if you deserve to be condemned, I'll let God deal with that. He knew his place, and when we know our place, we can act in grace. Any vengeance, judgment, it's God's responsibility. Romans 14.4 says this, Who art thou to judge another man's servant to his own master he stands or falls? What does that mean? That means in a church, we're called to judge, but we're called not to judge. Well, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is Jesus said, you'll know a good tree, it'll have good fruit, and you'll know a bad tree because it will have bad fruit. And so what we do is we judge by identification. We don't judge by condemnation. And we see here that he was unwilling to condemn, to criticize, or even bring judgment upon them. The wrath of man works not the righteousness of God, the Bible teaches us in the book of James. But think about this. He had the power Second highest guy in Egypt, right? He could have said, set up the gallows. 
He could have said, bring out the guillotine. Whatever the Egyptians were doing at that time, he had the power to do all that, but he refused to do it. He let God take care of any judgment like that. As he looked into the eyes of his brothers, he was looking at these flawed men, but it would be through these flawed men who would produce the great prophets of Israel, the great priests of Israel, and the kings of the nation, where today you and I have our Bible, because he refused to take God's matters into his hands. Fear not, am I in the place of God? Verse 20, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto the good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I've heard it said before, when it comes to God and you can't trace his hand, you've got to trust his heart. I think Joseph was an individual that could not trace God's hand but chose to trust his heart. If God allowed Joseph to go to Egypt for his sovereign purposes that were good, maybe you and I can see hope in our current trial. Something that we can't currently see that is going to have an outcome of future good. We have chapter 50's conclusion here. But the thing about chapter 50 conclusion is you got to hold on to that when you're walking out chapter 37, chapter 38, chapter 39. The Bible says no weapon formed against us is going to prosper and every tongue that rises up against us, he will condemn. The weapon of envy and hatred that sold him into human trafficking, it didn't prosper. Joseph prospered. The tongue that rose up against him in a false accusation of rape by Potiphar's wife, that didn't cause him not to prosper. He prospered through that. Because there's a God behind the scenes that knows the truth, who's doing a work that we can't see. So he says here, but God meant it unto the good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear not. I, look at, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly unto them. Look, here's the bottom line. When it comes down to it, and Joseph is the example of that, and you can find its truths in, in the book of Romans, is, is that giving good for the evil that we have received is biblical. That's biblical. So what it, they gave him evil. You meant it for evil, but God used it to the good. So, so what we take that's evil, God's expectation of us is that we would return good. And it says here, not only that, I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Not only you, you, the ones that you love, your little ones, your kids, your grandkids, all that. And it says, and he comforted them. And spake kindly unto them. Greek word, nakam, to be moved with pity, to console, and to have compassion. 
all the things that should have been placed towards him that weren't there for him, he's placing on them. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So there's a source of comfort, and it's found in the person of God. Guess what? That's all he had in Egypt. But when God's all you got, you got a lot. Who comforts us in all our tribulations, our trials. For a purpose. That we might be able to comfort them which are in trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So what takes place? There's a God in heaven that's ministering comfort to Joseph. And what he's going through, his trial, his experience. And what does he do with that comfort? Now all of a sudden, because God did it to him, now God makes him an individual that's able to comfort other people. The faithfulness of God to meet us in and through life's difficulties is to give us experiences that we will be so valuable in helping the lives of other people. People who are in need. Who need more than just an opinion or a thought. But somebody that needs to hear, I've been where you're at. And let me tell you the faithfulness of the God of comfort. I've been in the same place. I've been through the same thing. So we look at this, and we look at Joseph, and, and I think, you know, his life is such a challenge. And he seems like, like super Christian, <laughs> super believer, right? Where, is he? Where does he hide his cape? I don't think he's super. I think this is the standard. I think today people are too much okay settling for living below the standard. I think he shows us that this is what can take place in a life when God owns the heart. So we look at this. What's wrong with going above and beyond to please God? What's wrong with going above and beyond to honor God? What's wrong with going above and beyond to glorify God? A life like this is a life that chooses excellence and not mediocrity. That's the way that Joseph was. Peter tells us that you, you don't render evil for evil or railing for railing, insults, but contrary-wise, blessing, knowing that you are therefore called, that you should inherit a blessing. So we see the example, and look at this, and he speaks kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt for 54 more years he's in Egypt. He and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. He lived 110 years. You know, you look at that, we don't know how many years that we have. Moses says 70 or 80 we don't know how many years 
that we have, but it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality, the substance of the years of this man. And he saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Mature, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knee. And consider all that he had to share with them. Trusting God through adversity, avoiding temptation, how to handle false accusation, the presence of God. Everyone should seek out a Joseph in their life. A seasoned, weathered warrior who has a resume of testimony of the experiences of Jesus. Who's alive, powerful, able, and faithful. And Joseph said unto his brother, I die. All right, it's over. And God will surely visit you, which he would 300 years later when Moses would come and that they would be delivered on the Exodus and bring you out of this land on the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath to the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from thence. So a lot of times we don't think about it, but when Moses and the children of Israel left Egypt, heading back towards the promised land through the wilderness journey, they were carrying this coffin with an embalmed leader who was the second highest in the world who brought so much honor and glory to God. I wonder, I wonder if the awe and the respect of the work of God in his life as they carried that coffin all those years, I wonder if that isn't what was helped to use to fuel a Caleb and fuel a Joshua. People who are willing to take steps of faith. I'm going to trust God as Joseph did. That's why they weren't afraid of the enemy. That's why they had so much courage. Their courage was because they had a faith in God. That coffin spoke a message. Not a 40-minute sermon, but a 110-year declaration that God is worthy of our trust. God will come through. So Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him, and he put him in a coffin in Egypt. When we consider all that Joseph did, when we consider that all that Joseph accomplished... Dallas Willard said this, the greatest gift you will ever give to the people you love in the world in which you live is not what you do, but it's who you become. Not what you do, but who you become. Joseph was a Christ-like individual. He truly fought the good fight, finished the course, and kept the faith. Now here's the thing. Final question, final statement. Do you think Joseph would have concluded here at the end of Genesis that it was all worth it? Do you think he would do it all over again? It's hard, it's impossible for you and I to see our chapter 50. But we're not to look for chapter 50. We're to look to Jesus, the author of and a finisher of our faith, who writes our chapter 50. 
and conclude he is so worthy of my unconditional love and trust. Persevere. Endure. It might not look like it today. It might not feel like it today. You might be in chapter 37, 38, or 39, but trust me that the outcome will be good because the God that we serve is good. Father, we bless you. We thank you that you give us examples like this to to really help strengthen our faith and to build us, Lord. And, And I pray that we really could take so much from this individual and and what you did with him and how you used him. And and I pray, Father, that even now as we sit here today, Lord, that there would be a strengthening in each one of our lives right to the core of our soul, that that we wouldn't get lost in our course, Father, that if any of our trajectories off, Father, that you realign us with Jesus. Because, Lord, I know that you want each one of us to finish well. So build and bless your body here today, Lord. Strengthen us. Help us to be reminded that we, like sheep, we go astray. And if we're straying today, it's so important to get close to the the shepherd and and, and the bishop of our soul. We bless you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I pray if there's anybody that's walked through these doors today, Lord, and they don't know you. Lord, we, we see here Jacob. We see Joseph. They're on the scene, but then they die. And we, right now, we're on the scene, but eventually we will die. And the most important decision we ever make in this life is what we do with your son because that determines where we spend our eternity. And I pray, Father, that your people or a visitor here that maybe isn't even part of your family yet, just came checking it out, Lord, that your love, that your redemption would visit that heart, that you'd show them the value that they hold you and the need that they have for your son. And that they would surrender their lives to you, repent from their sins, and make Jesus their Lord and Savior. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.